Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 373. His chin as he looked me over, and I saw he wore a dull iron ring with gold letters scrolling across the surface. Despite his obvious misgivings, Stapes took the letter and disappeared through a set of double doors. I stood in the hallway for a nervous minute before he returned and ushered me inside his manner still vaguely disapproving. He moved through a short hallway, then came to a second set of doors flanked by armored guards. These weren't ceremonial guards of the sort you sometimes see in public standing, stiffly at attention, holding halberds. They wore the mare's colors, but beneath their sapphire and ivory were functional breastplates with steel rings and leather. Each man wore a long sword and a long knife. They eyed me seriously as I approached. The mayor's manservant nodded to me, and one of the guards manhandled me in a quick, competent way, sliding his hands along my arms and legs and around my chest, searching for hidden weapons. I was suddenly very glad for some of the misfortunes on my trip, specifically the ones that had ended with me losing the pair of slender knives I'd grown accustomed to wearing underneath my clothes. The guard stepped back and nodded. Then Stapes gave me another irritated look and opened the inner door. Inside, two men sat at a map-strewn table. One was tall and bald, with the hard, weathered look of a veteran soldier. Next to him sat the mayor. Alvaron was older than I had expected. He had a serious face, proud around the mouth and eyes. His well-trimmed salt-and-pepper beard had very little black left to it, but his hair was still full and thick. His eyes, too, seemed to belie his age. They were clear gray, clever and piercing. They were not the eyes of an old man. The mayor turned those eyes on me as I entered the room. He held Thrape's letter in one hand. I made a standard number three bow. The messenger, as my father called it, low and formal as fitting the mayor's high station. Differential, but not obsequious. Just because I tread heavily on propriety's toes doesn't mean I can't play the game when it's of use to me. The mayor's eyes flickered down to the letter and then back up. Both, is it? You travel swiftly to arrive in such good time. I did not expect even a reply from the count so soon. I made all possible speed to put myself at your disposal, your grace. Indeed, he looked me over carefully, and you seem to vindicate the court's opinion of your wit by making it all the way to my door with nothing but a sealed letter in your hand. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. The way he talks about it kind of makes it seem like all the layers of protection or all the layers of bureaucracy are there intentionally. When the Count said, you know, I want him as soon as possible, he still didn't expect him to get to his door this quickly. And what he probably expected was someone to say, like, you know, when your grace has time, I have arrived at Count Thrape's behest. And then he would put in, yeah, he would, like, schedule him an appointment in a couple of months. But as Nick pointed out yesterday, Cloth doesn't have that kind of time. Thrape, like, got Cloth onto that ship in a hurry. And it seemed like it was a big deal that he get there really quickly. So why... Yeah, Why is that not I the case anymore? I think Thrape is not that important. 
I think Thrape, like this is a huge deal for Thrape. So Thrape is like, let's get this done. Let's get the right man in there. And Alvaron like kind of doesn't care that much. It's like, oh yeah, this guy, I kind of know. He's He knows musicians, right? Well, maybe he can send me somebody. And Thrape's like, this is my chance to get in good with the big guy. Like Thrape is probably like a pretty low level I can't remember where counts lie in the period. But in the letter, does the mayor not specify that he needs this thing quickly? It says like with haste, but the mayor is used to having people do whatever he tells them. But he's a he's a really important guy, right? He's like got the powers and responsibilities of a king, so he's used to people hurrying up and then waiting around for him because he wants things convenient for him you know, when he needs them, but he doesn't actually need this musician right away. He just wants him available right away. So when he does need it, he can go, yes, you do the thing. Now he wants him to be waiting around on him because that's what he's used to as a powerful aristocrat. I hate it. Wow. Guess you hate aristocrats, Jordana. Yes. Accurate. Yeah. The relationship that people of privilege have to power and the relationship that people of no privilege have to with to not having power really is awful. Isn't it? I say, the, the hurry up and wait mentality drives me nuts. Like, as a person who prides myself on punctuality, like, I am at a place on time and I expect everybody else involved to put in the same amount of effort. (laughs) You also think of your time as being just as valuable as everybody else's, right? And no more valuable or less valuable? Yes, correct. Mm. Ah, but if you're an aristocrat, your time is more valuable than other people's. Ugh, awful. I hate it. (laughs) Mm. Slowly killing me. It's not like I didn't know it happened. It just makes me angry every time. <laughs> if only there was a way to redistribute that power. That sounds awfully bullshit, Nick. <laughs> I do like the way that Stapes and the mayor are characterized. Very quickly, we get a sense of what those two men are like and how how their kind of arrogance expresses itself in different ways the mayor is a powerful guy and he's used to people obeying him and and being you know deferential to him but he doesn't feel the need to like put people in their place because he expects that they'll know their place whereas stapes whose job it is and whose job relies on his ability to evaluate people make sure that the mayor doesn't have to interact with people who aren't worth his time Stapes is way more obviously like condescending and contemptuous of both. Um, but it's all in like his tone of voice and his manner. He doesn't ever say like, you're just a little street urchin. What could the count possibly want? What could the mayor possibly want with you? We learn a lot about the mayor just by the virtue of who he's surrounded himself with at this time. His guards are actual guards. They're not like ceremonial decorative suits of armor with people inside these are like these are knife wielding thugs or you know soldiers maybe i don't know if they're thugs but these are definitely like practical soldiers who understand how to search for weapons and they're 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 armed for fighting indoors right a a halberd is like you know taller than a person so it's not much use to you if you're in a building right with like a fairly low ceiling and fairly tight walls it's like of use if you're out on a battlefield the his guards are armed with swords and and knives which are much better for fighting in close quarters. So it we could even take this to mean that the mayor is anticipating being attacked in his own home. At the very least, he's practical. And this might tell us something about the political state of Severin, where, like you say, maybe there's a real chance that he'll be attacked in his own home. And there's a lot we can learn about 
about him from Stapes, I think, especially like as we learn more about what Stapes is like and his relationship to Stapes. I think in many ways that is the kind of save the cat about the mayor because he and Stapes truly have a caring relationship and Stapes truly does care for him and he truly cares for Stapes as we'll learn in the future. Like it's not just a master servant relationship. They like really have almost like a fraternal relationship together even though we don't get a ton of like we I think we are meant to like the mayor uh and I think we don't get a ton of like explicit kindness and softness from him but we can sort of read that into his relationship into states that's my read anyway but I really like I really like it all that states and mayor stuff I also want to point out a detail that the mayor and uh, his the other guy in the room who will learn on tomorrow's page is named Dagon. They are uh, look. They're standing around a table full of maps, and the other guy Dagon has the weathered look of a veteran soldier. So, what does it tell us that is going on in the world? You know, like they're they're preparing for a battle, right? It like that's what we're meant to take, or they're planning. Yeah, well, they're planning to deploy soldiery. Yeah. So that also gives us a hint about the political situation in Severin and its environs. And this makes me wonder, I think we'll talk about this down the line, but eventually the mayor attaches Quoth to the cadre of mercenaries he sends to basically deploy like soldiers in this, in this war against bandits. I never read it this way before, but I'm going to keep this in mind going forward. Does the mayor intend Quoth to die on that trip? I think that's something we're going to have to leave till later in the book because it's going to feel different when we read it. So don't don't jump to that yet. Oh, I got I jump. Another detail that I like and that I think speaks volumes is that uh, when Quoth is searched, he thinks, boy, I'm glad that I lost those two knives I always have on me and that they're not going to find them when they search me because I lost them in the shipwreck. He has never mentioned before, or rather he mentioned one other time that he keep, that he like kept a knife in his boot, but now he's, now he's used to keeping two knives on him at all times. Yeah. Well, every now and then he like, will make a reference to keeping knives on him. Like he learned from Denna to keep a knife uh, sewn underneath his pocket. Right. Um, so there's a few references here and now like knife in the boot, knife under the pocket. Now the two knives under the clothes, um, as you say, Jeremy, this is not something that he brings up front and center. And this is a great example of the unreliable narrator. Again, not that Quoth is like telling us lies, but that he's not telling us everything or he's only telling us things when they become important. There are things that are happening that Quoth decides not to tell us. And uh, yeah, as you say, speaks volumes. This tells us a bit more about Quoth's character that maybe if we knew him as a knife carrying guy all the time, we might think differently of him. Yeah, well, he's revealing to us that he's like multi-classed from rogue, from like bard into rogue, because uh, rogues typically dual wield knives, and bards typically. Yeah, well, he starts he starts in levels of bard when he's trained at the Ra, and then he has to take levels of rogue when he's living in uh, in Treban. Then he takes levels of Arcanus, Tarbine, right? He takes levels of uh, Arcanus in Tarbine, and then he takes levels of uh, fighter, prestige class, Ademra or Adam, Adam mercenary when he goes off here. So he's definitely like an elementer elementster. I can't remember which one is the joke name and which one is the actual name from, uh, from Faroon. Elminster. Elminster uh, is Elminster. Okay. And then Elementor is, is the one from Penny Arcade. He's definitely Elminster level. Cause it's the Elementster saga, <laughs> uh, where you're not an end table, you're a nightstand. 
That's right. That's right. But anyway, the 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 bit is that he has Elementor levels of multi classes. He'll definitely be a twentieth level character by the time he retires and opens an inn. I also think it's really reasonable that Quoth be a guy who carries knives, though, considering the number of times he's almost been killed pretty recently. Like, like between the Momet and the guys in the alley, like, I would carry knives, too. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's reasonable, but it's... Yeah. But it's in character for him, absolutely, which is why it doesn't feel jarring. But it is noteworthy that he does not mention, so I started carrying knives on me at all times. Reasonable, I guess. I'm a reasonable guy. I also like the detail of his standard number three bow. He referencing his stage training. Yes. And I, I don't mind that um, as a thing, especially in like a courtly uh, world where maybe there are different bows for different situations. How many bows did you learn in theater school? At least one. I think two or three. Cause there is, there's a couple like bows that are, you know, the aristocratic sort of bow. And then there's the end of uh there's like the curtain call bow, which is a specific thing. Like it depends on like usually when you're doing a period piece, if you have to do a bow, then you would bow in a different way for the period. But it's not it's not like you do a number three. Are there anything else uh, we want to talk about? I've got no more notes. Just a letter. Man. This is from SNC, who writes on page 361. Hello, pagers. I have a theory on another reason why Debbie may have asked for Dennis ring as collateral. Sure, maybe it's just because it's a valuable item, but there could be another motive. After the heist, it's mentioned that Sim and Will tell the rest of the party on how the whole saga began with Quoth trying to get the ring back from Ambrose. Devi might have keyed into the fact that Quoth has feelings for the owner of the ring and wants it out of jealousy since she also has feelings for Quoth. I don't really know if I buy this theory since it makes Debbie seem petty and spiteful in a way that would make me like her less, but it is a thought I had and I hope you find it worth chewing over. Thanks for the podcast and hope you're all doing well during this difficult time. Best regards, SNC. I like this theory not because it makes Debbie petty and spiteful, but because she knows that these things, all the things she takes from him now have more significance to Quoth than just as items uh, to be sold, right? I think she does know how significant the uh, hand lamp is, especially because Quoth tells her. I think she knows how much he values the pipes, and I think with this theory intact, she knows that this ring is what is what he got into everything with Ambrose for. So I think that this says to me that she does intend him to return. She takes these items because she knows that he has an emotional connection to them uh, because she does want him to come back. Not like She doesn't want things that he'll ditch on that she can just sell because she's not interested in the money. She wants to keep Quoth on the hook. I think also not necessarily that she just wants to keep him on the hook, but she... Like, she genuinely also just wants him to come back. Not necessarily in an on-the-hook financial way, but maybe she just wants him to come back. Could be. Agreed. Quothy, come back. Quothy, come back. Come on. No? Nothing? No. All right. Fine. I refuse. Jeez, my bits are just falling flat today. I mean, Oof. it's because we're actively refusing to get in, to get into it. But <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know what you're doing. It's baby, come back. It, Nick Quothy, is doing come baby, back. come back, but with Quoth. Uh, what's that? You don't know Baby Come Back? All right, Jeremy, let's do a karaoke episode. <laughs> That'll be on uh, next month's patrons. Of? Of? The Witch! Witch!